Welcome to The Growth Factor, a broadcast ministry of St. Mark Baptist Church. Today, as part of our family, you will experience the life-changing and spirit-nurturing Word of God. Please enjoy this time with us as we're committed to helping you grow in knowledge, grow in faith, and grow in God. St. Mark Baptist Church, you grow here. Well, what's up, Growth Factor family? Welcome back to the Growth Factor podcast, a broadcast ministry of the St. Mark Baptist Church here in Little Rock, Arkansas. My name is Pastor John. I'm the pastor of Assimilation here at St. Mark, and I'm here joined by our senior pastor, Dr. Philip L. Pointer Sr. And last four or five weeks, we've been really dealing with knockoff spirituality. Hope you all were blessed by that. And we're going to dive into a new series of conversations that we think that you all will be blessed by. And also it will encourage you to grow. And that is one of the things that we have as a promise here at St. Mark Mm -hmm. is that you grow here. And we know people have questions about topics that might not always be clear in the Bible. So tonight we're going to talk about it being not always black and white. Not always black and white. There are areas, Pastor John... Um, of scripture that based on the culture experience how people are raised some people say this is a sin some people say it's not a sin some people say it's a sin part-time <laughs> and we're going to deal with those things and I'm excited to, to have this conversation and launch into this study yeah and many of these things are going to be what we call issues of conscience mm-hmm. right uh, if you are convinced in your conscience there are things that the Bible isn't always clear on. Mm -hmm. Um, We have talked about for the past, as we're recording this, for the past couple of years, how to love your neighbor well. And one of the implications of that, we believe as a church family, is that we want people to wear a mask. Mm -hmm. We want folks to get vaccinated because that is an implication of scripture. And we we believe that to be black and white. We we hope that for our members uh, here at St. Mark that they would do that. But there are things in scripture that aren't always as clear. Mm -hmm. So for the next four weeks, we're going to be dealing with some topics to help folks um, flesh out biblically and then also understand from a historical perspective um, issues. And tonight and on this episode, we're going to be talking about alcohol. And can a Christian drink alcohol? Now, we know that believers do drink now the question becomes can you drink and it become to a point where you're sinning and that's one of the things that we're going to land on here uh, with the episode number six here in our podcast so i want to first though walk through some history with you uh, pastor p because i think it's going to be helpful to shape this conversation because as with everything we're talking about this isn't something that we're having happen in a bubble. Right. Like right. Alcohol has been around yes. for a very long time. Very, 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 very long time. Yeah. yeah. And, and we want to start just by talking about the process mm-hmm. because there is a natural process yep. by which fruit and other items go through that is called fermentation. I'm pretty sure that many of you all have heard that that causes it to have this alcoholic content. And this is where uh, sugar in the fruit, overripe, that's fr- that's overripe, begins to attract this substance called yeast. Mm-hmm. We see yeast, yeast in the Bible, discussed in the Bible, right? And that yeast combines with the sugar, 
and it produces what we call ethanol. Now, you probably have heard the word ethanol mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. <laughs> in other contexts. But through that process, when it combines with the ethanol, it ferments whatever the resulting liquid beverage is. And that's where we get the alcohol that we've seen traditionally and historically. And I, I want to drive that point home as we're talking about this. As we're talking about this, what you're talking about is a natural process that humankind has observed and then has figured out how to facilitate. Yeah. Um, people didn't invent alcohol, <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> people observed this and they, they figured out how, to, how it was done and then they put items in context where this natural process could take place and that's how you get alcohol of all kinds, of every iteration. Yeah, and different cultures have handled different items in different ways, right? Mm-hmm. So I want to start, though, with the Sumerian myth of the Epic of Gilgamesh. Mm-hmm. And that can be a whole episode in and of itself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah we <laughs> but, may need to do that. <laughs> yeah, we probably do. But this, this epic um, is from around 2000 BC. It was the, the actual plates that it was written on were uncovered much further after that mm-hmm. and were written much further after that. But it gives us some insight into Sumerian culture and the Sumerian myth of um, Gilgamesh. And in there, it talks about this wild man named Enkidu Mm -hmm. uh, who meets the progenitor, the person um, Gilgamesh, and they become really good friends, but he's wild and uncultured because he hasn't had a drink yet. Right, (laughs) right, right. In the epic, we see that he becomes cultured after taking some beer in and some some of that uh, good stuff in. And the text says that he became, became expansive and sang with great joy. See? It made him happy. <laughs> yeah. It made yeah. him good happy. Yeah, yeah. So we see even early on, 2000 BC, that this idea of alcohol coming into play in the uh, Sumerian mythology of the Epic of Gilgamesh. And it continues through ancient Chinese culture. Mm -hmm. Uh, The Chinese would let the rice go through that fermentation process. And you all may have heard of sake. Mm -hmm. Sake comes from that particular process. They did it uh, through honey and grapes. Mm -hmm. We also saw the ancient Egyptian culture and Mesopotamian culture uh, making beer from the stored cereal grains that they had. They were a very grain-based culture. Mm -hmm. So they would make these... Uh, grains and they would allow them to ferment and make beer from them. Yep. Now, the interesting thing is in Egyptian culture, the workers would be paid in beer. Yes. That yes. when they finished working on their day, they would actually get beer as payment. And the wine was preserved for those who were elite. Elite, like like some of y'all think today. <laughs> that's 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 com- many of y'all are Egyptian and Mesopotamian. Your idea right. that beer is for common folk and wine is for <laughs> for the elite. Not much has changed. Yeah, right? I want to call names, but I've I've, I've refrained for now. So what happened though? The fermentation process wasn't enough for people. Mm-hmm. That that natural process of fermentation evolved as human beings decided they were going to use the ingenuity and insight that the Lord gave them to use this process called distillation. Yep. Distillation, right? So distillation is a process where you actually boil this liquid. Mm -hmm. And when you boil it, it vaporizes to become alcohol. 
and it becomes more concentrated right. than the fermentation process. So it's stronger. Mm-hmm. It gets you there quicker, right? Mm-hmm. And that distillation process was used to produce that higher concentration of alcohol. Now, listen, in ancient cultures, alcohol was actually used for medicinal purposes. Medicinal purposes and still used today. Mm-hmm. NyQuil. Yep. Cough medicine contain this alcohol. Yeah, yeah. So it wasn't anything that uh, innately, the mm-hmm. ferment, the fermented brand, bad. Mm-hmm. Um, but as with everything else, there is a potential for abuse. Yeah. And we can certainly get into that. But I, I really want to hone in on the cult of Dionysus. Yeah, and, and, and let me, let, let's lay another contextual issue for ancient cultures. We live in a day where for those of us in the West, especially in developed countries, so-called developed countries, you know, fresh water is widely available. Um, we can catch rain, we can take it across large distances, and we, you know, those kinds of things. But in these ancient cultures, if you didn't live near a river, mm-hmm. chances are, you know, you would have to dig a well. Sometimes the well didn't have water. It, it still needed to rain to fill that well. Uh, or if you could find an underground stream, you could dig down into that supply of water, but but water was just not a given. What alcohol, wine, and beer were, oftentimes were necessary ways of staying hydrated. Yeah. Um, it, it, it was, so it wasn't bad, it was not a, they weren't trying to, <laughs> sometimes they weren't trying to feel a high, mm. they were just trying to be hydrated. Yeah. Um, and so that's, you know, when you look at these ancient cultures and how they perceived it and how they viewed it and how they used it, it's far different from the iteration and idea that we have today in the West about what we use alcohol for. So it served a functional purpose, but mm-hmm. not so they couldn't function. Right, <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yeah. And this cult of Dionysius is, is big. I, you know, uh, I, me and the boys love Greek and Roman mythology so, so get get into that pastor john i'm anxious to get, get yeah. that in front of the people yeah. so um the cult of dionysus is something that really sprang out of the greek culture and the greek pantheon of gods and in greek mythology there's a high tier of gods and zeus is one of those gods mm-hmm. and as with many of the stories the gods would come and visit regular humans and zeus did so in this instance and um slept with a human being and as a result, she was pregnant. Mm-hmm. Now, this is where the story gets weird. Right. Okay. So Zeus, uh, because he has a jealous wife, Hera. decides that he's going to uh, kill the young lady and then put the fetus in his thigh. <laughs> he places it in his thigh, and he actually carries this fetus that ultimately becomes Dionysus. And Dionysus decides that he's going to go to Earth and uh, do something special for the Greeks. Mm -hmm. He gives them a formula for wine. So Dionysus gives them the formula for wine, and the people appreciate him by making a cult that is actually dedicated to him. Mm -hmm. Now, there's something special about this cult. Uh, The cult is full of women. Yep. Uh, women who serve in the home but decided that they were going to go outside of the home and have a good time. Yep. Have fun. 
So they would go out in the woods, uh, celebrate by drinking this wine that Dionysus provided for them. His other name is Bacchus. Mm -hmm. It's a Uh, Roman name. Yeah, it's a Roman name where we get this Bacchanalian celebration, right? And they would go out, get drunk, and uh, they would actually get in this state called ecstasis. Yep. Where we get this word ecstasy. Ecstasy. Right. The first X drug was wine. <laughs> there you go. The first X drug was wine. Yeah, yeah it yeah. was. Yeah. And here's what would happen. They would lose all inhibition to the point where they would track down small animals, tear them to pieces, right. and eat them alive. Yeah. That's how much they lost inhibition. And this is all attributed to this cult of Dionysus, which we see not just in this uh, instance, but we also see in large orgies and parties. Mm -hmm. These are things that Paul addresses in his letters because this is very important to this first century culture to understand that this cult was alive and well Mm -hmm. in Paul's time. We're going to talk about that as we look at some of Paul's letters. Yeah, and and so, you, you know, when you look at this story and and you, you hear about Dionysius and, and, and or, or Bacchus, um, that festival, um, it's, gonna, it's gonna get bad for a minute, y'all. That festival was generally held at the end of the year, mm. December 25th. <laughs> Uh-oh. And, and was appropriated by the Catholic Church and Christians, and Jesus' birth was assigned to try to mitigate. <laughs> give, I'm gonna give you something to celebrate, but not like that. That's that's how mm-hmm. that's what that's how they tried to mitigate um, that wild festival. The 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 issue at hand was that they were they were looking for an escape yeah. from from mundane life and. So what Dionysius supposedly brought to them in this myth is he supposedly brought them the same drink that the gods were drinking. Mm. It was it was a the it nectar was, of the gods. Yeah, it was the nectar of the gods. It, it's what the you know it's manipulating the grape to its in their perspective its highest potential, its best state, and um, and that release of inhibition. Again, you come to the West. Now, mm-hmm. now you go to these ancient cultures that are that are African, <laughs> Eastern. They they have functional purposes for the alcohol. Then you come to the West. Mm. Um, the Greeks, Greek philosophy is going to be the impetus for our philosophy. The concept. I'm getting in trouble real bad now. The concept of of individualism and capitalism and democracy. Our Greek concepts, the things that we hold so dear in this nation, and as Christian, we'll actually know they're Greek. Mm-hmm. Paul is going to appropriate Greek terminology of the Stoics and Epicureans um, when he writes his letters, as he um, explains and defends and amplifies the faith uh, uh, of Jesus Christ and and the gospel. The gospel he says God has given to him um, through mystery. So when you have to engage these kinds of of, of stories and history to really understand scripture and the culture mm. in which we live. People's perspective of alcohol in the West comes from their understanding of these Dionysian festivals, these Bacchanalias. Yeah. 
because <laughs> the idea was if you drink any wine, you're going to go out and catch rabbits and eat them, eat their fur and, and innards. Yeah. That's what, that's what they associated with wine, not the excess and certainly not the cult activity. Mm-hmm. They thought it was the wine itself that did that. And that's why the West began to have these perspectives about the danger mm-hmm. in, in, in those kinds of ways, John. Mm-hmm. And, and you see that early on in Western culture, especially West, Western Euro culture, where they bring with them this idea of being Puritans, mm-hmm. being pilgrims. As a matter of fact, they are separatist at their core. Yep. This is the reason why they came over across from England to escape what mm-hmm. they felt like was a cultural practice that was not warranted biblically. So mm-hmm. they bought that mores, mm-hmm. that cultural ethic and mores with them by saying that, okay, these practices of alcohol are something that we don't want to happen here stateside. Yep. And this was the actually this, the beginning of what became the temperance movement in the West. In the early 19th century, uh, many folks really kicked against this idea of um, any alcohol or drinking culture. And interestingly, the Native Americans already had some of that practice going on in their culture. Yes. So yes. again, this is them attempting to excuse them um, taking these folks who are savages right. Right. and bring them into normal practice in life. Right. The, the idea of, of, of cultural superiority mm-hmm. um, and the idea of, of we can take the land from these savages mm-hmm. on one end. We're leaving the place where wine creates all of these uh, wild orgies and parties, and then we come to a place where uh, they ha- they're using these ferment- fermented materials in, in certain ways, and they're just, they're evil, they're a cult just like the Dionysians are or wow. were. Wow. And so we can take their land, we can overthrow them, and, and if they get cultured like we are, hmm. Then, then they might find some acceptance among us. Uh, otherwise, um, we are right and righteous to. This is the this is the attitude we're right and righteous to take from them, mm. um, the place where they've been for millennia. Yeah, and that idea ideology actually was woven through the thread of America, even into the 20th century, where we see the 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 peak of the temperance movement mm-hmm. through the prohibition. Right. Which was a federal legislation that outlawed alcohol as a whole mm-hmm. in terms of uh, import, export, manufacturing of alcohol, which led many to become what y'all may have heard this term bootleggers. Yeah. Folks who went out in the woods and made their own alcohol because right. it was illegal. Now, again, interestingly, uh, many bootleggers were people of color. Yes, folks who made some good moonshine. Yeah, in in fact, the origin of NASCAR mm-hmm. is from bootlegging, as they would be chased by these police in those early vehicles. They began to soup up their cars to outrun the police, mm-hmm. and they became experts at it, and 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 would tweak this, tweak that, lower the bumper, raise this, you know try to become more aerodynamic and they begin to race these souped up cars mm-hmm. that they used to run from the police and that's where NASCAR came from. Wow. That's wow. where NASCAR came from. Yeah. yeah. And, and many people were arrested mm-hmm. and murdered 
because they were doing something that was newly illegal. Mm-hmm. It only took 13 years right. before that was repealed and alcohol was once again made legal. Mm-hmm. So in that 13-year period, can you imagine the number of people who uh, suffered under the arm of the law for something that was illegal right. that became legal? Yeah. Sounds familiar. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and we'll yeah. get into that yeah, later. That, that's episode. another episode. That's another episode. <laughs> A whole another episode. When, when, when y'all do it, it's illegal and we lock you up. But when we do it, it's a business. We put labels on it and we can make all the money we want to make on it. But that's a whole nother. Yeah. That's a whole nother thing. Stay tuned for that. One. <laughs> right. 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 So w- once we walk through this history, now the question becomes, what does the Bible say about this? What does scripture inform? How does scripture inform our view of alcohol? Uh, how was it um, utilized in the Old Testament? How was it utilized in New Testament culture? And then bridging that gap, how are we as Christians to utilize it today? Mm-hmm. I think it's important for us to begin in Genesis. Yeah, yeah, begin in the beginning. That's a good place to start, <laughs> man. Good place to start. And, you know, we see it first in Noah, mm-hmm. you know, as a, um, as a bridge between judgment and grace. Yeah. Uh, Noah, who is remarkably obedient and faithful to God in um, receiving the instructions from God to build an ark. Uh, Noah trusts God. It had never rained before. And now now God said, all right, here's what's going to happen. I'm going to drop that canopy of water from the sky onto the earth. Mm-hmm. I'm going to wipe everything out other than your family and the animals I tell you to get. Um, Noah does it. He builds this ark, I think it's 120 years. Uh, it takes him to build. He preaches, according to First Peter. He preaches, and nobody converts. <laughs> he, he's the he's the least successful preacher, preacher of all time. Ever. <laughs> and, and listen, and and let me just throw this in as an aside, Pastor John. Listen, it's amazing to me the work of God in ministry and and preaching and the mystery of God. Noah preaches for a hundred and twenty years without one convert. Mm. Jonah preaches a five word sermon. And an entire nation, nation becomes revived. A whole nation. <laughs> just, I mean, I, I just want to, I just want to sit down in heaven with Jonah and Noah and be like, man, Noah, I know mm. you got some beef with Jonah because mm. his fruit, and he would, he didn't even want to do it. And mm. So, I mean, so he preaches, he 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 proclaims, he builds this ark to God's exact specifications. Mm. He gets on the ark um, with the animals, obedient. He spends three hundred and eighty days. Yeah, floating. <laughs> That's a long cruise. That. The That's longest cruise. Three hundred and eighty days <laughs> on that water, animal dung, mm-hmm. and all that stuff. Um, mm-hmm. And then finally, they land on Mount Ararat. They come out, and what's the first thing Noah does? Genesis chapter nine. <laughs> Noah, well, Noah's been out for three hundred eight <laughs> days. What's the first thing that right, he does? Right, right, right. <laughs> now, now listen, listen. The first thing I got to, I can't, the yeah. first thing he does is build an altar yeah, you're right. and right. sacrifice to God. Yeah. So that's the first thing. But the next thing he does, <laughs> the thing after the first thing is, is there mm-hmm. um, in, in chapter nine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I'm going to read chapter nine verses 20 through 29. And this is, um, you know, in context, he is uh, going out from the ark. Mm-hmm. He has three sons at this point. Yep. Right. So um, when he leaves the ark, 
he be, he built the altar, but then mm-hmm. he does this. He says, Noah began to be a man of the soil, and he planted a vineyard. Yep. He drank of the wine and became drunk and lay uncovered in his tent. And Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father and told his two brothers outside. Then Shem and Japheth took a garment, laid it on both their shoulders, and walked backward and covered the nakedness of their father. Their faces were turned backwards, and they did not see their father's nakedness. When Noah awoke from his wine and knew what his youngest son had done to him, he said, Cursed be Canaan, a servant of servants, shall he be to his brothers. He also said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Shem, and let Canaan be his servant. May God enlarge Japheth, and let him dwell in the tents of Shem, and let Canaan be his servant. Now, <laughs> there, there is so much in here. A lot to unpack. But we got to start with honor-shame culture. Right. Because it really pro- provides the context that we need to understand this text. Right. So so you'll read it later in the Law of Moses um, that the idea of uncovering someone's nakedness, um, which had both literal and, and figurative or symbolic meaning, um, was a major part of what they considered a cultural no-no. You do not uncover your father's nakedness or uncover your father's wife's nakedness uh, mm-hmm. Leviticus and, and number those laws you you don't you you don't step over the line of and expose people mm-hmm. so to speak or or seek uh, to see their their private places mm-hmm. and that's physical physical anatomical and otherwise mm-hmm. um, that culture John persists in many iterations today yeah. Uh, it's one of the things that people try to judge other people's dress based on. Yep. Um, how much skin are they showing? Uh, you know, early early in the 20th century, it was still a shame to, for a woman to show her ankles. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, those those who are in other cultures and other systems of faith uh, even have veils that women are to wear. Honor and shame culture um, because there were issues of Believing someone is your property, yep. more than your responsibility. All of those things flow out of that kind of culture. Yeah, and, and you see that today, Middle Eastern burkers. Um, mm-hmm. You'll see folks walking around. You only see their eyes. Mm-hmm. And that that honor shame culture is real. And interestingly, I think in the West we don't necessarily understand that. And you have to understand that in order yeah. to understand this text, because some scholars have had have tried to say, um, and I'm not in this. F- in this space in terms of believing them, but some have tried to say he slept with his mother-in-law or yeah. his mom. Yeah. And I, I don't think that we need that. No. I need to, to take this no. literally and say that this is honor shame culture. Mm-hmm. He saw his father naked and mm-hmm. then you see his brothers walk backwards. Right. Which is, we're gonna do the exact opposite, exactly. honor our father right. and cover his nakedness. Yeah. That has nothing to do with him sleeping with moms. And, and more than just the accidental seeing, it's the exposing. Yeah that is the issue issue culturally. So if he happened into his father's tent and he happened to be naked, he should have covered it and kept him, kept it to himself culturally. That's what the right thing to do was. But instead he went and exposed his father mm-hmm. to his brothers who do the opposite and cover him. Yeah, he went, mm-hmm. and, went and told, right? Yeah. But what this does in the larger narrative is it exposes this cycle that we're seeing in the Old Testament of fall and judgment mm-hmm. right we see yep. that the judgment happens with the ark 
Mm-hmm. And now we see Noah finding himself in a situation where it's going to have generational impact. Right. I mean, there's a there's a parallel here between Adam and Noah. Yes. You yes. know, Adam's in the garden. Mm-hmm. It says intentionally here that Noah plants. He's a man of the soil. Yeah. Yes. A vineyard, right? Mm-hmm. And then we also see in that text that Adam um, was someone who was naked mm-hmm. and ashamed. Yep. And you see yep. Noah here who is also naked and ashamed. So as you're reading this, the writer wants you to understand the parallels there. Right. The right. Parallels there. Right. Now, here's the key, though, because after the fall, there's a seed. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> in Genesis 3.15, right? In fact, the entirety of the Old Testament is the tracing hmm. of that seed yeah. Through, yeah. Its, um, through its progression through history hmm. until it manifests in the person of Jesus Christ. And that's, that's a good word because the, the tainting of the things around that divine seed mm-hmm does not taint the seed ultimately does not taste the seed, taint the seed at all yeah genesis mm. three fifteen. the seed of the woman will bruise the serpent's head mm. the serpent will bruise his heel is the first messianic promise mm-hmm. john it's so rich it's so rich we i mean we could spend the rest of the we episode can. on this text <laughs> because what we what we see is 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 you have that parallel with adam and noah mm. with nakedness and shame and nakedness and shame and then you see god cover Adam and Mama Eve, yeah. and then Shem and Japheth color cover Noah mm. as representatives of God. Mm. The Bible says love covers a wow. multitude of sins. The, the divine activity, mm. the God-like thing to do is to cover people's wow. uh, nakedness and things that would be a shame. Yeah. Um, rather than to expose them. And you know, I, it's so amazing to me how People have become popular on social media, and they become celebrity, and they become rich by exposing. Mm. By by by, the, we have created celebrities out of people who are only skilled at gossip. Mm. Yeah, yeah. And it's a tragedy because they some of them say they represent the kingdom of God, mm. and they do not in any way because that's not how God handles people's nakedness. Yeah, yeah. And, and it's port, important to see here that Shem, as you mentioned takes part in covering Mm -hmm. his father yeah because when you trace the bloodline of shem yes shem ultimately is an ancestor of abraham yes who ultimately is an ancestor of jesus christ yeah so he uses shem Mm -hmm. to cover noah yes in his shame and sin the same way that god himself yep the same way he covered Evan and Eve. Absolutely. So so we see that narrative of the gospel just laced yeah. through here, right? Yeah. And and the name Shem is 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 we get the word Semite mm. from that Shem's son. So you talk about anti Semitism or <laughs> that that's that's Shem's mm. descendants. Um and, and John, we can't we can't we're gonna talk about the alcohol part, mm. but we cannot avoid the curse. Yeah. Uh so Ham traditionally is understood to be the father of people who lived in um, Northern Africa, father, Western Africa, father of people who um, yep. in a part of the African diaspora. Um, Shem is considered the progenitor of 
of Israel mm -hmm. and um, Palestinians and, and people that are considered uh, Arabic. Mm -hmm. uh, Japheth is the father, traditionally people understand him to be the father of those who move out into um, Eastern Asia mm -hmm. um, uh, and, and into uh, Europe, European, European yeah. culture. So, mm -hmm. um, so people have wrongly used this text to say that God cursed Ham and all of Ham's descendants. That was used as a justification for slavery, for Jim Crow, um, and for so many evil, ungodly things. They say Ham was, Ham was cursed. Well, that's not what happened. First of all, God didn't pronounce the curse. <laughs> Second of all, it was a curse for Ham's son, Canaan. Canaan, yeah, yeah. Which ultimately, with the Canaanite people, yes, was something that was lived out. Lived out. And here's the thing: the Canaanites are not alive anymore. Right. They they died in the they died in ancient times. <laughs> uh, so there are no Canaanites for this curse to apply to, uh, and 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 so they're you can't use it to, to, to oppress black people. <laughs> you, mm. can't, you can't do that. Um, but, but how does this whole incident jump off? It jumps off because um, Noah plants a vineyard. Noah drinks. And verse 21 says he got drunk. Became drunk. Now, the Bible does not make any commentary about the rightness or wrongness of his drunkenness. Mm -mm. It just said he got drunk. And he was in his tent. And then it goes into all of these other uh, all of these other iterations. Now, we're going to come to the New Testament, which is going to give us an idea about drunkenness. But I'm just, what, what we're seeing in Genesis is that it does not comment on yeah. drunkenness in this passage. It just, this is what happened. Yeah, it doesn't. And, and we're going to see another instance where something similar to this happens in Genesis 19. Yeah. Yeah, this is a tragic incident. Yeah. And, and, and I think, John, as we look at Genesis 19, we'll see why um, not trying to say that Ham did something sexual with his mother, with Noah's wife, is legitimate. Because the Bible doesn't run away from saying when these things happened. Yeah. It doesn't sugarcoat and, and, and gloss it over. Mm -hmm. So we're in Genesis 19. Now, Abraham has prayed for Lot. Mm-hmm. Um, he intercedes on behalf of Lot, who chose to go to Sodom and Gomorrah. Right. Mm -hmm. And having prayed for Lot, God answers that prayer, mm -hmm. uh, sends angels to the city. And here's the interesting thing about what we're getting ready to read. Lot had mentioned to his son-in-laws, hey, we need to get out of here. Mm -hmm. And the text says that they thought that he was a joke. Right. Now, Lot is in this culture where he could be have positive influence, mm -hmm. but at some point, somehow, some way, if I'm reading the text right, that his son-in-laws didn't believe in him enough or his God enough mm -hmm. to think that he was anything but someone who was entrenched in Sodom and Gomorrah culture. And, and, and it's, it's amazing to me because Lot is an elder in Sodom and Gomorrah, or he's, he's, he sits at the gate. He's, yeah. he's, he's a part of the judicial and, and, and economic a judgment system mm -hmm. um, he had become fully integrated into that into that environment mm -hmm. to the degree when the angels show up to say lot you got to go your family has to go yeah. Um, yeah and and the men of the city start knocking on the door saying we saw your guests we want to lay with them bring them out lot offers his daughters mm. Wow which 
which sheds some light on what we're getting well, ready to talk about. about right to read, now. right? This is this is this is how he 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 despicably devalues their humanity mm-hmm. by offering and, and and you know some people say the culture of hospitality was such um, that 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 was the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. No, ma'am, no, sir. <laughs> <laughs> these are his daughters. These are his daughters. Mm. They, these are his daughters. Uh, so, so John, here we are. Here we are. Yep. They get out of the city. Um, the angels tell Lot and the family, don't look back. He does it anyway, and uh, or, or, or his wife does it, rather, mm-hmm. and, and she turns into a pillar of salt. So now the sons-in-law are destroyed in, in Sodom and Gomorrah, this storm of hail, fire, and it's just Lot and the two daughters. Yeah. And he finds himself going up to the hills. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. It says Genesis 19, verse 30, and I'll read down through the end. Now Lot went up out of Zoar and lived in the hills with his two daughters, for he was f- afraid to live in Zoar. So he lived in the cave with his two daughters. And the firstborn said to the younger, Our father is old, and there's not a man on earth to come into us after the manner of all the earth. Come, let us make our father drink wine, and we will lie with him that we may preserve offspring from our father. So they made their father drink wine that night, and the firstborn went in and lay with her father. He did not know when she lay down or when she arose. I want to read that again. Mm-hmm. He did not know when she lay down or when she arose. The next day the firstborn said to the younger, Behold, I lay last night with father. Let us make him a drink tonight also. Then you go in and lie with him, that we may preserve offspring from our father. So they made their father drink wine, that night also and the younger arose and lay with him and he did not know when she lay down or when she arose thus both the daughters of Lot became pregnant by their father Mm. the firstborn bore a son and called his name Moab he is the father of the Moabites to this day the younger also bore a son and called him Ben-Ami he is the father of the Mennonites to this day John so so many things to unpack and our time is running quickly but here's the thing as we spoke as we talk about alcohol i mean the we can get into the into the absolutely warped thinking and logic of of these daughters um yeah. feeling unprotected feeling um undervalued by their father offering them up to the men of the city believing because they have no value they they are not able to remarry mm-hmm. um and mm-hmm. and and re- resulting in this act of de- desperation um, to have offspring and to keep um, Lot's name alive in the earth. So here's what they do. They get him so drunk mm. that he doesn't even know what's going on. He don't know. Said it twice intentionally. And, and he, here's the thing about, about alcohol and its use and, and, and its abuse. Tragically, This incident is symptomatic of how, if misused, it either lowers inhibitions or takes from us the ability to resist. Yeah. Um, And we see it in culture today, again, in the disgusting ways um, that people uh, use alcohol to, to. take someone's innocence away um, sexually or otherwise. And, and the tragedy is 
that it can be used in an abusive way mm-hmm. uh, for one's own selfish ends and means. Um, and and that, that part causes great consternation in this conversation for me. Yeah, 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 yeah me too. And to see the outcomes of what happened, um, the people, the Moabites and the Ammonites, we know that they're going to be Israel's neighbors later on. Mm-hmm. And there's constant struggle with these nations and right. these people groups. Mm-hmm. Now, here's the grace in that, though. L- let, me, let, me give okay. him, let me give him a greater context okay. for that. The law of God then forbids Ammonites and Moabites from, it, it, from entering, entering the, land. the tabernacle and being a part of Israel's worship life. They cannot even convert, as it were, mm. supposedly, mm. Uh, because of this, this tension and, and enmity between Israel and these children of Lot. Yeah, yeah. That's that's a good context because mm-hmm. what we're also going to see is grace wrapped in that. Yes, sir. In the story of Ruth, mm-hmm. who is a Moabite. She's a Moabite. And Ruth becomes part of Jesus's genealogy through this kinsman redeemer in mm-hmm. the book of Ruth. So we see just how God, even though these actions here created a people group that had this large tension with God's people, yeah. he used someone who was a Moabite yeah. to become part of Jesus's family genealogy. That's just grace showing up in the middle of this in, heinous in, act. In, incredibly, it, it demonstrates how God can redeem the worst mm-hmm. human behavior and evil <laughs> and, and, and tragedy for God's own purposes. I mean, you look at this incident, and then you look at the children of Moab and Ammon, and they're they're uh, they're fighting against Israel throughout their history. And then you don't get David, you don't get mm-hmm. Solomon, you don't get Jesus without this Moabite woman named Ruth. And wow. it's just an amazing, amazing uh, testimony testimony to God's ability to redeem just about, I mean, just anything. God can redeem it Mm. for God's own purposes and and for the sake of the gospel. Yeah. I'm going to have them write down these two Proverbs, Mm -hmm. um, and then we can look at this psalm because we are short on time here. So uh, Proverbs 21, um, 20 verse 1, talks about wine as a mocker. Mm -hmm. Um, And it deals with this idea that, that alcohol as we see here, mm-hmm. could ultimately lead to foolish behavior. Some of you woke up in the morning, opened your phone, and saw texts that you sent <laughs> and said, I cannot believe I said that to that person. Proverbs 21. Proverbs 20, verse 1. Your Bible was trying to tell you. <laughs> God tried to warn you that you were going to be drunk texting your ex. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know. So uh, also in Proverbs, we see wine, not with these negative connotations, Mm -hmm. but there's also uh, this idea that wine, and especially in this culture, was a sign of prosperity. Right. Sign of prosperity. So we see that in Proverbs chapter 3, verses 9 and 10, when it talks about your vats overflowing mm-hmm. with, wine with wine as a sign of prosperity, right? Yep. And in fact, as a result of honoring the Lord with your substance and first fruits, if you give God your sacrifices, one of the blessings, mm-hmm. according to Proverbs, is that your your vats will overflow with new wine. Yeah. Yeah. 
I think I want to look at Psalm 75 um, real fast here because mm-hmm. it also provides us context for our New Testament conversation. Psalm 75 and verse 8. It says this, For in the hand of the Lord there's a cup with foaming wine well mixed, and he pours out from it, and all the wicked of the earth shall drain it down to the dregs. Now this is imagery, Mm -hmm. uh, a picture of God's judgment. We talk about the picture of God's judgment being darkness. Right. Well, here in this text, the picture of God's judgment is a cup mm-hmm. with foaming wine that people are going to have to drink down to the dregs, which it literally means to the last to drop. To the last drop. That's what the dregs are. It's the last drop and the and the sediment that settles in the bottom mm. of of the of the wine. So the so the little the little the little uh, particles and mm. <laughs> every little bit of it. You gonna get it all. You gonna get it all. The wicked. Are going to have to take it all down now here's the interesting thing about that okay because because the disciples two of them come up to jesus mm-hmm. and ask him a question they say can we sit at your right hand left hand side right right and yeah. what is his response can you drink can you drink of the cup that i'm getting ready to drink from it's the same image that he prays about in gethsemane yes father if it's possible take let this cup what cup Psalm 75 and 8, mm-hmm. the cup of God's wrath that must be fully emptied. Yeah. yeah. Now, 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 here's where you should shout. You should shout because Psalm 75, 8 mm-hmm. should apply to you. Mm-hmm. But when God was passing the cup around, yes, sir. Jesus drank it all, and when it got to you, it was empty. All the way gone. And here's the other thing. As he's walking along the road... In Mark 15, they offer him a drink yep. with myrrh, mm-hmm. which is something that could deaden the pain. Right. He refuses that cup. Can't, can't drink that cup. I got another cup. I'm, I've all, I'm downing another cup. I'm downing, I'm downing the cup of wrath. Because I need to drink it down. I need I to drink to this judgment down to the dregs on behalf of these folks. The last drop and the small particles the sediment. I got to get all of that out of the cup because if there's any left, it'll be too much for John and Philip to handle. That's that's the cup he's talking about there in the text when he says, can you drink of this cup? And they foolishly say, we can't. We can't. <laughs> nah, Doc. No, you, he says, you're going to drink of a cup. We're going to share in the sufferings of Christ, but we don't have to share in the wrath of God. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Before we turn to the New Testament, I, I know you wanted to hit on this Proverbs thirty-one king. Yeah, man. Let's, yeah. Let's, so, so let's hit hit that. This up. is a this is an interesting um, passage of scripture, Proverbs uh, thirty-one four through seven. And and so this isn't Solomon. This is this is this is uh, perhaps another name for Solomon, but mm-hmm. but perhaps not. Um, and it's it's mother wit. Yeah. Yeah. Here's the advice. It is not, verse 4, uh, Proverbs 31, it is not for kings, O Lemuel, it is not for kings to drink wine or for rulers to take strong drink, lest they drink and forget what has been decreed and pervert the rights of all the afflicted. Give strong drink to the one who is perishing 
and wine to those in bitter distress. Let them drink and forget their poverty and remember their misery no more. Open your mouth for the mute mm. and for the rights of those of all who are destitute. Open your mouth, judge righteously, defend the rights of the poor and needy. Listen. Mm. Mama said, don't drink if you are in a position of authority and power and you have power over people's lives. Mm. So the king is not to drink. Why? So that the king can be clear-headed yep. when it comes to issues of judgment and justice. Now, John, people have different perspectives on this. Here is mine. Because it's proverb and poetry, I do not believe this means not ever, don't you ever take a drink. That would have been, that would have been very odd in the culture, mm -hmm. very strange in the culture. Um, feasts involved wine. That was just the way the culture was. What I, what, what I believe this proverb, this, 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 this passage is about, is about level-headed judgment that leads to justice hmm. and about finding ways to ease the pain of people who are hurting. Yeah. Yeah. If, 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 if a person is perishing, if a person is in bitter distress, hmm. let's find ways, give, give, give them wine, as it were, in the literal or the figurative. Something, um, we didn't read a, a psalm That's good. Uh, that says uh, wine is, is, is for joy. Mm. That it, as, as the tale of Gilgamesh claims, that, that it gives exceeding joy. It, there, is a, um, there is a ministry to that, <laughs> so to speak. But, but you need to be clear. You need to be level-headed. You, you need to be, the New Testament is going to say over and over again, mm. be sober. Yeah. Be sober. Yeah. Be sober for your adversary, the devil, is like a roaring lion. He, you know, let a person not think more highly of themselves than they ought to think, but they need to think, Romans 12 says, soberly. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. That, that, that believers who represent the authority of Christ in the earth need to have level heads. Yeah. And there's a social component there too because in order them for them to drink your wine, you have to invite them to your table. They got to come to the table. Let them enjoy the wine. You advocate for them. That's yeah. what this passage is about. Yeah. 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 Now, let's talk about the quintessential text. Yeah. For many folks on alcohol, and this is Jesus keeping the party going. In John chapter number two. I, be I believe it was that great prognosticator, D.L. Hewley, who said, y'all know normally I don't do this, but <laughs> y'all going to keep the party going. <laughs> y'all going to keep the party going. So uh, this is the wedding of Cana. Mm -hmm. This is the first of seven signs. Mm -hmm. We talked about signs pointing to Christ. Well, John's very intentional in his gospel. He mm -hmm. only lays out seven miracles right. that are supposed to be signs that point to Christ. This is the first of those seven signs in chapter number two. And uh, we're going to start reading in verse number six. This is after Jesus's mother's request. And he says, woman, what do you have to do with me now? He's not going off on his mom. No, it was actually no. a term of endearment. Woman like, is a term of endearment yes. in that culture. Yeah. So there were six stone jars, verse number six, uh, there for Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water, and they filled them up to the rim. And he said to them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. So they took it when the master of the feast tasted the water, now became wine and did not know where it came from, though the servants had drawn, who had drawn the water knew. 
The master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, Everyone serves the good wine first, and when people have drunk freely, then the poor wine. The bad stuff comes later. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But if you've kept the good wine until now, this is the first of his signs Jesus did at Cana in Galilee and manifested his glory. And Mm -hmm. here's why. And his disciples believed in him. Yeah. That's the reason for the sign. Yeah. And and there's a lot in this text. I know we got to get to some Pauline passages. But quickly, can you just give us kind of a a rundown of what's going on here? So, you know, Jesus is just hanging out with his disciples. Um, Cana is close to uh, Capernaum and Nazareth. So he's it's a culture community event. He he shows up. His mom is there. They don't have wine. They run out of wine, meaning um, it would be social embarrassment. It would probably have an economic adverse effect on this new couple because people wouldn't want to give their sons to their daughters or, or their daughters to their sons because if you want to run out of wine, it means you can't pay the dowry when it's time to get married or you, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, so there is an embarrassment and economic issue. Jesus does this miracle out of time. Mm. Should have come later. But he says, all right, I'll, I'll do it now. And he turns the water to wine, 120 to 180 gallons of wine. Mm. Here's the argument I've heard, John, about this one. Oh, oh it wasn't fermented. Fermented. Man, like, come please, on, bro. come on, Doc. This is, you can't, the, <laughs> statement, grape juice. the statement that, oh, you put out the good grape juice first and then the bad grape juice. It's grape juice, man, whether it's Welch's or Mott's. It's just, that, we ain't talking about grape juice. We talking about Don Perignon it was wine. versus Boone's Farm. Yeah, that's what we're talking about. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> Normally, you put out the Dom Perignon and the, and, the, and the upper echelon stuff first. And when people have well drunk, you put out Mad Dog 2020 and right. Boone's Farm because they, they, they can't tell. At the that difference. point, you don't know. You don't care. You just want to keep the feeling going. These feasts lasted. These wedding feasts, they weren't a couple hours in mm-hmm. the afternoon. These were seven-day yeah. affairs. Long. Yeah, these, these were yep. seven-day minimum. Um, so they needed a whole lot of wines, mm-hmm. and that's what Jesus provides. It was wine, wine. Yeah. Um, it's 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 about Jesus transforming what is weak into what is strong, mm. what is flavorless into what has flavor, what is colorless into what has color, um, what is uh, ordinary into what is intoxicating. Mm. It speaks to a larger issue mm. of of his ability to make what is needed out of whatever is available. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and it's a picture of God's abundance. Mm-hmm. The the amount of it is a picture of, of God's abundance, and the disciples would know mm-hmm. that God's abundant blessings, as we saw in the Old Testament when it comes to wine, yeah. really points to him as creator. Yeah, and, and, and John, we talked about how wine was a sign of prosperity. These are poor people mm-hmm. who may have been able to, uh, to, to, to um, afford maybe a, f- a little bit of expensive wine and then they had to put out a whole bunch of, of, of mundane mm-hmm. uh, cheap wine. But Jesus provides them with the best of the best in abundance. That's good. Not just enough, not just quantity, but quality. Mm. And he enriches that family, that wedding. He enriches that marriage with prosperity. Um, as he does our souls, our impoverished poor souls, um, the, the wine of his, of his, of his blood um, mm. makes us rich. Yeah, that's yeah. good. That's yeah. good. 
So um, I want to look at this text in Ephesians as we get ready to close here, because I think this one is going to help us to drive home the point um, that we're trying to make here. Um, we're going to look at Ephesians 5, verse number um, 18. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, contextually, this is Paul giving instructions on how they should walk out what he's previously taught in right. Ephesians, right? Right. So um, here he says, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. I'm going to read these next couple too. Yes, I think it's important. yes, they, they are. Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now, remember, Paul's writing to a culture that understands that these drunken orgies happened all the time. And the Corinthians had confused people. Mm-hmm. because it, So we take communion traditionally once a month. They, every time they gathered, every, every Lord's Day, they took <laughs> communion. Well, in Corinth and other places, it probably was, was an issue. They were acting like it was a Dionysian festival mm-hmm. and calling it communion. Yeah. They were getting drunk. They were engorging themselves on food. Mm-hmm. And what Paul is talking about, he's actually not even talking about your private life, Pastor John. No. He's talking about what you do when you come to Toge- worship. Together. So yeah. when he says don't get drunk with wine, he's saying don't let the Lord's Supper look like a Bacchanalian festival. Yeah, which is why the, the next verse talks mm-hmm. about speaking to each other. In and then, so here's how you should worship instead of that. Yeah. Instead of that, sing together. Mm-hmm. Instead of that, give thanks to God. Instead of that, submit to one another or serve one another. That's what your worship together should look like. It's and, not even talking about what you do in your house. And this goes back to what we've been saying even in our previous series is why settle for this when this is much better. Yeah. And he says, instead of getting drunk with wine, I got a suggestion for you. Mm -hmm. Be filled with the spirit. Yes. The spirit I sent to dwell in you and to fill you so that you could live a life that Mm -hmm. is both righteous and one that honors me. And we saw the living picture of that on Pentecost Mm -hmm. when the spirit fills that upper room with those 120 and they begin to speak in languages that they did not learn. And the first accusation is they must be drunk. They got to be drunk. And Peter has to stand up and say, these are not drunk as you suppose. It's only 9 o'clock. We haven't <laughs> had enough time to get going. It's not happy hour yet. This is the spirit that was promised in Joel. And he begins to proclaim Jesus Christ. And 3,000 souls get saved. Mm-hmm. We, we can feel that intoxication, that, 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 that sense of inebriation um, and be used by God um, mm. Mm. In, in, in yielding to the Spirit in a moment-by-moment. Moment. And the literal translation is keep on being filled. Yeah, yeah, that's good. And so what we've seen, at least throughout our survey, is that there's this idea of inhibition mm-hmm. that is something that Scripture certainly speaks to. Yeah, uh, Doesn't necessarily say you should not drink alcohol, but there's this this space of inhibition being drunk Mm -hmm. with wine that leads to bad decisions. Yes. 
and also leads to bad, ultimately bad Christian living. Yeah, I mean, it pulls down your boundaries. It 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 can in in its most extreme um, experiences. I mean, black out. <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm. Um, mm. We we joked about drunk texting, but there are so many other dangerous things that can happen um, that we can be guilty of or that can be done to us um, if it's out of control. Mm. Um, you know, I, everything needs balance and boundaries. Yeah. If your conscience is clear that that you can drink alcohol, then be responsible with it. Be careful with it. Stop promoting it like, like it makes you some social butterfly because mm. you know how to get drunk. That's, listen, watch your Instagram. Watch your Facebook with this stuff. Mm. If you do it because you enjoy it, then enjoy it. You don't have to advertise it. Yeah. Um, and then be mindful of people for whom it is an issue for their conscience or it is, and we didn't even talk about this, mm. it, people who... Um, there's some people who imbibe alcohol differently in their bodies, and so they're given more more often to alcoholism. Be be mindful that other people's conscience, tolerance, and physical condition can't handle you just walking around and pulling out your flask everywhere you go. Mm-hmm. That that I think that's the Christian way of perceiving um, alcohol. And if you're not a person who drinks alcohol because you don't like it, or maybe your conscience says, um, I can't drink it, you also should not sit in judgment of people who do it responsibly. I, I think that's I think that's the Christian perspective. Yeah, that's so good. And this has been our episode on alcohol. Yeah. We've addressed whether or not a Christian can drink alcohol. Hopefully, That was helpful for you all, and we appreciate you all for joining us on this episode of the podcast. Next go-round, we're going to be talking about marijuana. Woo! Somebody roll the weed. (laughs) You don't want to miss that one. Make sure you tune in. In addition to that, make sure you subscribe to the podcast. Also, join our Growth Factor Facebook group on Facebook. It is a growing, burgeoning community. And if you can do us a favor, go leave a rating and a review for the podcast on Apple platform. We would appreciate that. It's available on all podcast streaming platforms. So we appreciate you all for joining us. Uh, P, I'm going to see you next time. Yes, indeed. As we talk about marijuana. Can't wait. This has been The Growth Factor, a broadcast ministry of St. Mark Baptist Church. Be sure to follow this podcast on your favorite podcast platform and join our Facebook group. The Growth Factor for daily motivational content. Let's keep the conversation going. Thank you for listening.